It's another week for some drama, and this one is another one of the most requested guests we've ever had. The one and only Ethan Slater. That's right, SpongeBob himself. And let me just say, he's such a genuinely good person, engaged guest, and just down to play on this episode. You're going to love it as much as we did. So for even more drama, please consider giving us a five-star rating and, and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also be sure to join our Patreon for Instagram close friends action, bonus episodes each week, and more. All right, it's showtime, folks. Oh, yeah, and all the links are just in the notes below. Bye. Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got numb? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater. Pop culture. L-O-V-E. And life. I am Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, you throw me when you change up the intro. I haven't done it in years. But anyway, um, (laughs) I was saying to you earlier that even though I just saw you this weekend, I feel like I haven't spoken to you in what can only be described as years. Mm -hmm. Um, How are you? And are you doing anything fun? What's on your mind? I'm great. Everything is good. And people often say, do you miss each other that you don't live in the same city anymore? And I always say no. And that shocks people. Shocks me. I'm shocked right now. But Connor, we talk all the time. I know. (laughs) I miss doing things with you, but I don't, you know, it's like, it's not like I'm like, I miss my brother, you know? Yeah. Okay. Cut cut to me sobbing on the plane. I'm just kidding. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) listen, today is a big day because it's, it is Stephen Sondheim's birthday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember the the first, you know, when quarantine and lockdown began, what feels like years ago, which it It, was. It was, in fact. But yes, go on. Yeah. Do you remember the Take Me to the World, Raul Esparza, technical difficulties, virtual (laughs) concerts that the world waited around and watched? I absolutely do, because I still, like, weekly listen to Raul's version of Take Me to the World from YouTube he is unbelievable, and um, I know. It, that song brings out such emotion in me. But I do remember that was sort of like the first virtual concert, and I think people realized after that that we can do things live that are pre-recorded. Actually, <laughs> yes. Well, there was that, and there was also the Rosie O'Donnell show. I don't remember what the order was, but those were the two big things that the theater people gathered for. I think Rosie was first. Okay. Okay. That was fun. Some fun times, but you know, I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say I miss lockdown by any means, but I do miss cool events like that that we all could attend because I feel like now I'm not in New York and I don't get to see all of those things. Like you're there and you got to see, you know, assassins, very timely, very on topic, very, on topic. <laughs> very um, timely. And you know, and other things like that. We, I have to give a shout out because it was in our episode with Steve Pasquale that I was saying, I really yes. want to see assassins. I really want to see assassins. And a dear beloved friend of the pod reached out and said, I heard your episode and I have an in, I have a ticket in for you. Is this like too much that I'm like, no, this is like, this is great. It really goes to show the drama community is strong, but I absolutely loved mm. it. And you know, we will get into assassins because our guest today was the breakout performance from it. I have to just throw that out there and tell That's you. That's what you, you texted me immediately after to say. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll well, get that and and your obsession with Tabby Gevinson was only furthered. <laughs> it w- it was furthered because I famously came out as verse that day in that I saw a matinee of assassins and an evening performance that Tabby Gevinson gave. And I can't remember the venue it was at, but it was... Union Hall, perhaps? I think it was Union Hall. It was what... We're getting the, the, the producers are piping in. They're confirming. Yes, it was, it was Union, Union Hall. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll actually talk about it a little bit later because it was it yeah. was a it was a day and it was amazing. But yes. And our guest today was he was in the first half of that day. And judging on what he was saying earlier, I think maybe he was at the second half. I don't know. It's it. <laughs> he was kind Perhaps. of nodding for a second. But listen, he's been very engaged in this opening convo. Yeah. It's been very fun. Sometimes the guests will pop out their phone. Which is fine. Sometimes they'll mute us and walk away. I love when they do that. And I'll think they hate us and want nothing to do with <laughs> us. I think this is a fun way for them to see our personality and the vibe of it all. But, you know, you know, we, we, have, to, we have to bring him in. Dylan, on Stephen Sondheim's birthday, you need to bring in our guest, this, this, yep. this honored guest. 
Our guest today is an actor, singer, composer, and writer. He burst onto the scene as the titular role in the SpongeBob SquarePants musical on Broadway, garnering a Tony Award nomination, Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Actor in a Musical, Outer Critics Circle Award, and Theater World Award. His endless talent and positive nature instantly solidified him as a beloved member of the Broadway community. He's also appeared off-Broadway in Baghdadi, Nassim, Pemdas, What We Know, Camelot, and Lincoln Center, and most recently, the aforementioned classic stage company production of Assassins as the Balladeer and Lee Harvey Oswald. The album for that revival is out now, courtesy of Broadway Records. On TV, you'll recognize him from Fosse Verdon, Murphy Brown, Law & Order SVU, Instinct, and more. As a writer, he created the musical Edge of the World, written with Nick Blameyer, of which the concept album is available with my hero, Norbert Leo Butts, and friend of the pod, Zoe Cooper. The upcoming films, The Interveners, Silent Mode, and more. His original music is available now as well, including EPs Life is Weird and Wanderer. He is currently starring opposite Sean Hayes in Goodnight Oscar at the Goodman Theater in Chicago. We are so gagged to have him here. Please welcome to drama, Ethan Ethan Slater. Oh, please. Oh, thank you. What a what a great like, I feel like that was my uh, run in music or something. Like we just did like the senior run in <laughs> in high school. Oh, yeah. Where everyone that, like had their like, hands out and you like clap their uh, hands and like that tunnel. Of 10. Did you graduate oh, in 2010? An age reveal, right? I did. I did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't tell me. Can we bleep that out afterwards? We were 2012. So we, have a, we, have, we, were, we came of age at the same time. Wait, I'm trying to do fast right. math. How old does that make? If I'm 28, are you 28, 30 yet? I am not yet 30. When's your, when's your B-Day? But gosh, am I close. (laughs) Um, uh, My birthday's in June. I know. Beginning or end? Beginning. Very beginning of June. A Gemini. But I will say no more. I've said too much already. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, listen, that run in music got me hyped, Ethan, because... (laughs) I am so happy to have you on here. And I feel like Dylan and I were like blowing our proverbial loads at the beginning, talking about like assassins and I mean, Tavi Gevinson, things like that. And um, I feel like we got into it, but before we get even further, and I'm just wondering, are you well? Thank you for asking. I, I am well, I think um, ups and downs as everyone tends to have, but I'm feeling really, you know, I'm very grateful. I'm working on a show right now that I really love called Goodnight Oscar out in Chicago, as you mentioned, yes. with just an incredible cast of people. Like, what, what a great um, ensemble play. And then, you know, I feel very grateful and and filled up by Assassins, which is having an, another wave of something coming out with the album coming out. So those things all kind of fuel me and make me feel really fulfilled. So yeah, I think that in that way, I am very well. Oh, I love to hear it. Chicago is such a fun city. Great you city. obviously spent time there with SpongeBob when it was out of town, but the Goodman, is that, is that like nearby? Was it, what is it? The Oriental where you, where you yeah, did the, f- formerly known as it's now called the Nederlander theater. Okay. Nice. Pretty good change. And it is right. Yeah, I was going to say that name is, <laughs> yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. but you know, it is literally right across the street from the Goodman. Okay. So when we arrived, I knew that I knew that this was true, but we arrived in, on day one. I like landed in Chicago. I like w- made my way down to the loop and found myself directly in front of the SpongeBob Theater. And I was like, oh, no, I am going backwards. <laughs> Memory lane. <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's really great. It feels like it feels kind of this weird, like going back to your college campus or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I loved my time in Chicago, but I never really lived here felt like felt like I was a I'm from Chicago but I love the people here and I love this the theater here is incredible and so it's really good to be mm-hmm. back Aww. oh I'm so excited so wait tell me tell me a little bit about Goodnight Oscar I'm yeah, so curious wait. it's obviously with Sean Hayes yeah is it a and, murder mystery uh, you know what it could be every, anything could be seen as a murder mystery <laughs> I think you just have to be a little bit you have to project your own murder mystery onto the stage. Mm-hmm. It's like it's this beautiful play about, by Doug Wright, who's just outrageously incredible at writing. <laughs> it's this play about Oscar Levant, who is a an actor and pianist, and he's his appearance on the Jack Parr show in 1958. So Ben Rappaport is amazing, who I'm sure you've seen in a million things, is playing Jack Parr. Love him. He's wonderful. And then Sean Hayes is playing Oscar Levant, and I gotta tell you, like Sean, it is unreal what he's doing. He's, he disappears into the role 
in this like so this way that that you're not going to believe like truly you're not going to believe because everybody knows Sean everybody knows who he is mm-hmm. whether you listen to his podcast or whether you watch Will and Grace or you've seen him in as many movies whatever you know you know who he is but you're going to be blown away by what he's doing in this he's disappearing into it in like this heartbreaking hilarious way and then there are some amazing surprises that I don't know if I could if I want if they are spoilers but it's just trust me it's something everybody's going to be talking about once they see it he's really amazing and who is your character I play Max, who is the the production assistant on this set, a product of nepotism and a massive fan of Oscar Levance. So I get to have these like, <laughs> you know, these this like these hour long sort of like prodding him on to tell his story and me just gushing about how much I love him, which is kind of easy to do. That's so fun. I could totally see you in that role. We, it's I, pretty fun. I was surrounded by straight people this weekend. Don't ask. And <laughs> <laughs> they were all raving about Smartless, the Sean Hayes podcast. And I was That's like, so funny. <laughs> and I was like, I think straight I need to people consume. love Smartless. <laughs> yeah. That's what it seems. They love, yeah. well, and Sean's gay. So, I mean, I, I think it's okay mm-hmm. for me to say at this point, Sean's gay, but. <laughs> I, I'm like, why haven't I consumed it? Because I've seen every single episode of Will and Grace original. Connor, how dare you talk about a different podcast while on air with us? I know, I know. That's a good point. We're going off topic. Um, Sean is one of the funniest <laughs> physical comedians on the planet. Like you watch, I mean, he did it Truly. even in the revival, but like early Will and Grace, the things he could do just with his body and like facial expressions, in addition to delivering the lines perfectly, he's out of this world. Out of this world. He's unbelievable. And he's like, it's so specific. It's constant. He's got new ideas. He's like very truthful and in the moment. I think that's the thing that you don't like, that you don't always get when you are watching a TV show or watching a film because you're seeing the one take that they take. Mm -hmm. But when you're like, when you're in the theater with somebody, you're seeing them. Well, you know, if you have the privilege to see them night after night, even if you're just in the theater live with them, living truthfully in the moment and also being that hilarious and specific it's it's really special and something i was like i'm trying to soak in he's great is this a world premiere play it is a world premiere Mm -hmm. yeah we actually opened last night and it's been very well received so far so that's good yeah do do you read reviews i say every single time i say i'm not gonna read the reviews because i just i don't want to do that to myself and every night um as soon as we open i'm like searching for the reviews, you know, <laughs> just like, <laughs> un- like under my pillow. Yeah. <laughs> so I do, I definitely, I definitely read them because mostly because it's like picking a scab. It's like really hard not to. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I- and I will say that there's like, there's like two sides of it also, because like the show, the shows are, this is just not really a justification. Uh, it's just something I think about like show- shows really change when reviews come out and it can be kind of heartbreaking to be working on something where You've done two weeks of previews and the, every audience is like laughing and going nuts and loving it, eating it up, giving you standing ovations. And then the day after opening, all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you're like, well, what happened? That's when reading the review can help you contextualize. Oh, people um, read the review and now have their mind made up before they come to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not it's not a diss on audiences. It's not a diss inherently on reviewers. You can do those things yourself if you want. Mm-hmm. But it's just like it's this it just changes the experience. And that can be really tough. Mm-hmm. So I do like to know. Yeah. And plus, like people yeah. will probably, you know, offhand mention something to you. You know, the next oh day. I mean, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall at the SpongeBob opening night party because the Times review was wild for that and positive. Yeah. No, it was great. It was, but it was exactly that thing. It was so funny. I was like, I'm definitely not reading it. Um, they're going to hate me. It's going to be terrible. And I just, I can't do that to myself. I put so much of my life into this. I'm so proud of it. Nothing's going to ruin this night. So I did not read it. And I'm at the party and like, Everybody, like everybody who I don't know is coming up to me going, did you read it? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, no, I'm trying to wait till later. They're like, okay, well, you can. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, okay, good, great, thank you. I did, I did successfully not read the review until the next day. Nice. So I was able okay. to have an, an untarnished opening night. Yes. Well, you're opening a Broadway show. It's your Broadway debut. And yeah. it's at the palace. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. It's just the most, it's outrageous. It was truly outrageous. Yeah, it was just like, wow. We're going to get into it. I have so much to say about I can't believe we're talking to SpongeBob himself, but mm-hmm. I'm curious about Goodnight Oscar. Do you do you think there ha- it has life after Chicago? 
it's all speculation coming from me, but <laughs> I mean, like, it's a really great show. And I think, I think Chicago audiences are really loving it. I think it's like a really, you know, but I, I also think New York would love this show. And, um, and I think, I think it, it would do well. And I think people would really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I hope there's a life for it. I think it's, uh, it deserves one. Yay, yeah, I want to see it. So that's, yeah. I mean, selfishly, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, hopefully there's a chance. I feel yeah, like you were, I, I feel so. like that was also the conversation around Assassins too, was like, is it moving on? Is it moving on? And we asked Constantly. Steve that too, when he did the pod, he was like, oh, yeah. we, he was like, we want it to. He's like, uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it should. Uh, yes. <laughs> if there's any justice in the world, then yes. He's so funny. He's yes, so frank. Exactly uh, he told us though, that it would only move on if the entire cast could be, could stay together. I, you know what? I kind of feel that it was such a once in a lifetime kind of ensemble, but, but you know, I think everybody like would, would kill to, to use a bad choice of words, would kill to do it um, <laughs> uh-huh. for more time. I thought one of my favorite things that Steve says, I hope I'm not blowing up a spot is uh, he, he'll be like, Oh, your friends came to see that. What, what do they think? And I'll be, I was like, Oh, they loved it. And he goes, right answer. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> it's my fa- It's my favorite response. I was terrified he to was talk like, to him. Oh, he, I was so scared. God, but he is the best. He's. Yeah. That, I feel like that's such a. I, I understand the intimidate the intimidation factor because first day of rehearsal, I was like, oh my god, I'm just even this long. Like, <laughs> what's that going to be like? I'm between Judy Quinn and Stephen Basquale, and then it turns out he's just like, just such a generous, like awesome, incredible person, and like, whew, what an actor. Whew. Oh yeah, come on. As passionate on stage as he is off, you know, he's That's right. That's right. Yeah, he really is. Wait, so we, that that first day of a, of rehearsals at Assassins, was that pre-pandemic? I can never keep it, was. it straight. It was. It was like March March 2nd, oh, 2020. Wow. We had like 10 days of rehearsal under our belt before we before we got shut down. That first day was was nuts. And I and I remember like so many things were happening. It was the, you know, we were in the democratic primaries for the, for the election. And then, you know, some people were showing up wearing masks and we were like, you're not supposed to wear masks. You're taking them away from, you know, the healthcare Mm -hmm. workers. And, and it was just like, all like thinking back on those 10 days, it was like this really weird time. And like Stephen Sondheim was in the room, which was so like, was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And then we got closed down. We're like, okay, well, we're just gone for the weekend. Yeah. I don't know. Every, everybody has this story, I Mm -hmm. think, but it's just like such a, it's so, I've been revisiting it now that we're closed and all that stuff. And it's just been such a journey. And so was, when you all closed down, it wasn't like you were set to start performances though. It was still rehearsals, right? The next day we were going to do the Lee Harvey Oswald and John Wilkes Booth scene. Mm. So we, (laughs) we had never (laughs) even read it out loud because John Doyle works linearly. Like we started at the beginning. We didn't do a read through. We just started at the beginning and we kept working forward. So we had never even said those lines to each other. So I was like, Oh man, I got, I got cast in this kind of dream role for me uh, opposite, like the, the best John Wilkes Booth who's ever played the role. (laughs) Although everyone else was great too. I just think Steve is really special. Oh yeah, and and I was like, God, this is like this is what I'm looking forward to. Like, I can't wait for scene work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm an actor. <laughs> Come um, on, Vassar. And <laughs> yeah, that's right, go Brewers. <laughs> and and then we just uh, we were what we were 22 hours away. Did they tell you the whole? Did they tell you the whole like quarantine? Like, we're committed to bringing this back. We're committed to bringing it back. Were, were they in touch? Or were you kind of just like I don't know. They were in touch, you know, every six months. They were like, just so you know, we're still committed to doing this. And the first time we were like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. The second time it was like, oh, okay, great. And the third time I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. Good to know. Thank you so much. Right. And then the fourth time they were like, we start rehearsals in a few months. I was like, wow, incredible. Who all did you know going in? Because obviously Wesley Taylor was in SpongeBob. Yeah. And you knew Lily Cooper. So did you know her brother by proxy or? Yeah, I knew Eddie. I knew Eddie like we're much closer now than we were before. But we know we knew each other through Lily. Obviously, I knew Wes really well. And then like Adam, I was like friends of friends. And I was like, you know, I had like these sort of brushes with people that I would like, you know, be friendly with whatever. And now I feel it's it that is ah, it's one of the great things about working in theater is like you go from these groups to groups and you like make new friends and you know make new friends but keep the old one is silver but the other's gold is that 
the phrase? Yes. 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 Is but is that is that one of those phrases where like the next line is actually really dark though? <laughs> it Probably. is because it's, it's, it's kind <laughs> of like saying the old friends are still better than the new ones, right? Yeah, no, that's right. One is silver and the other, so one's like second place and the other is like first. Mm-hmm. But they're all so but they I, still got a medal, so it's fine. Yeah, that's right. They're all medalists. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. all the best in the world. Yes, I didn't know that many people that well but boy when you're backstage in a tiny dressing room sharing it with all those people you get to know each other quite well oh i can imagine now this i don't know if it's a spoiler or not because i did not see the show but everything i have heard about the ending of the show and things Mm -hmm. like that that obviously wouldn't have been in place when you were originally setting it in march of 2020 right Ah, oh, that. Yeah, well, we restaged the whole thing. We started from the beginning. There were definitely some ideas that John had originally that we were incorporating in the first rehearsal, but in the the first rehearsal process. But like, there were also a bunch of ideas that he didn't even try to bring back. There were all these boxes and things that, you know, that were going to be like the set. We were going to move all these things around. And we got there the first day. And it was just like, that was like the one central image. And we Mm. got there the first day. And he's like, yeah, but like, but not anymore. (laughs) He loves like minimalism and furniture, like wooden furniture. I would say he's, he's an essentialist as opposed to a minimalist Mm. that I don't, uh, yeah. mm. And I I am 100% sure that I am either quoting him or somebody else. I did not make it up myself. All right, well, I like it. You're, this but is the first time I've heard that. It sounded organic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, God, thank you so much. Um, I was so nervous. Uh, <laughs> no, but he like, he, like, pairs something down to what feels essential to telling the story. And I think it's, a, it's an aesthetic that, like, really allows the writing to shine through. And I think John Weidman's book is, like, really, it's so weird. It's such, it's such a big swing. And it's the kind of thing that I, I just think is so is so brilliant. And I love it on one pass, but actually getting to live with it, it's like, oh my God, like, you know, I have heard criticisms of, of productions that I think are maybe less well done or whatever, which is to say college productions or things where like, you know, you don't have as much time or effort <laughs> to put into it where you can say like, well, you sort of lose the linear thread, right? Like what is the narrative in Assassin's? But if you spend just like a little bit of time reading this script and, and seeing how he's actually building this incredible thematic narrative, this thing where you're, you're picking up themes and it's building an argument and then it has, it has the thesis that it presents and then it sort of presents the antithesis of it. And then you end with this, with this like really disheartening, heartbreaking synthesis that, that is Lee Harvey Oswald. And it's just like really cleverly crafted. Anyway, that's, that's was something that was just so fun to live with and so beautiful to, explore i love that you're getting into this i mean it is it is sondheim's birthday so i think we can we can celebrate him and discuss his work and of course his great collaborators who i'm glad that you mentioned to john weidman and in particular with this now you mentioned it was a dream role was this what was your experience with assassins prior to getting cast my experience with it was was actually like it was brushes with it i'd only seen a college production which was not as i described (laughs) it was great you were talking about a different Um, one that you saw friends friends were all wonderful I was talking about uh-huh, theoretical uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. productions that I have. No, but it was, it was great. And I remember being like, Oh, this is super cool. I kind of wish that I had um, been a part of it. Like it seems really fun. And then I'd obviously heard the albums, which I thought were incredible. And the thing that made it a real dream role for me, it was twofold. One is I loved the idea of playing Lee Harvey Oswald. I was like, that scene is so incredible. So cool. The, potential to do what neil patrick harris did which was for the first time which is double cast and mm-hmm. like, go from the balladeer to lee harvey oswald i think that we could make a make a through line of that in a way that i think is really cool and i think that john ended up doing and i, I was really grateful to have that but the thing that that to me was like such a dream was to do a, a john doyle style sondheim mm-hmm. piece i like you know, we'll probably get to this later, or maybe I'll, I'll do a secondary one. But one of the things that like really made me fall in love with theater was watching Company and Sweeney mm-hmm. Todd on YouTube and just watching, you know, part one of 14 <laughs> of uh, each of these, you know, <laughs> and I like learned how to play being alive on piano mm-hmm. because I wanted to do that. And I played guitar forever. And, and so the idea of being able to play guitar in a show like this was just incredible and so daunting and so terrifying so it was a dream and kind of uh always skirting the edge of a nightmare but it, it was just perfect so oh my god that yeah. was drama <laughs> i loved it that's a great ring of keys moment and 
I going back to Dylan didn't get to see Assassin. Sadly, he was like so upset, but I thankfully did get to see it famously on the same day when I saw Tavi Gevinson at Union Hall. But anyway, that's right. I I've heard about that day, a fateful day. You have heard. I know the rumors are true. <laughs> I had no ex, no prior experience with the piece at all, and Ethan, I was absolutely blown away by your performance. I like I said, I texted Dylan. I was like, Ethan Slater star or something. I forget oh, what I said, but. But we already we, knew that. I mean, yeah. we already knew. We already knew. But I had only ever seen you as SpongeBob, and so it was it was so thrilling to see an actor who I admire so much in that role that you should have won a Tony for. But we'll get into it later. <laughs> but anyway, to see you again and be like, oh my god, no, he actually has it all. And serving body yada yada at one point. I mean, it was really a moment in time. I mean, you were the balladeer, and I didn't know that that those roles aren't normally joined in the way that it was presented. So that. That it felt, you know, and to, to, to mention something from Fun Home, in the, one of my favorite parts in Fun Home is when, you know, Big Allison, famously played by Beth Malone, mm-hmm. she enters the story herself to sing a song in the pivotal moment when she's about to come out to her dad towards the end of the show. Yeah. Telephone wire. Finally inserts mm-hmm. her, as the narrator inserts herself into the story. And I love that. And it, mm. it felt like an echo of that thread when, when you were, t- you know, telling these stories and you, entered it yourself and um just to just to go back to drama school for like two seconds mm. <laughs> mm. that's so right that's exactly how it felt doing it it was like you're, you're both like you know telling this the balladeer i got to like sort of tell the story as i say in the opening i got to sort of tell the story but i was also telling my story in the same way that um allison is doing and like y- you're kind of um implicating yourself you're judging mm-hmm. the other characters, but you're also implicating yourself and you're judging yourself and you're, and in that way, it's an active narrator, right? Like it doesn't, it's not a narrator who is omniscient and omnipotent, but rather knows up to a certain point what happens and then has to make sense of it. And I think that that's like a really exciting story to tell and a really like, God, what an exciting thing to be able to play, to be able to like, be there, be present, be like telling everyone else's stories with them and then use all of those things to, you know, have, have a revelation at the end or, or be manipulated at the end or whatever it may be. Yeah. I did. I was speaking of which did, did trick Judy into singing days and days and days um, a couple of times. <laughs> Just iconic. Amazing. Love. Your work there was done. That's amazing. That's right. I'm so jealous. It, and Ethan, you, you're like the perfect vessel for, for doing a narrator type role, because I feel like you're, you're speaking into singing voices so natural. And how was Tavi Gavinson? And did she talk about Gossip Girl at all? <laughs> Tavi's. <laughs> That's the reason I, I brought you here. Tavi's incredible. She's like, obviously she's incredible on stage. No surprises. She's just like her squeaky is so, <laughs> so uh, scary and hilarious. God, she's, I don't know. She's just awesome. She's great. And I, I went to, she says she did that show twice at Union Hall. And I don't know if we were there the same night, but I did go to it once. And it was just like, you know, it is so, it is that double feature thing is such a great joy to be like, oh, well, I know Tavi's a great performer. I know I've, I can, you can read her writing on the subway over and be like, oh, this New York Mag article that she wrote is genius. And then watch her like perform her own words together. It's just like a really, she's a, a special human. Yeah. Uh, that was awesome. It was a, it's a great double feature. Yeah, Broadway Records has the album out now for Assassins, you know. That's right. And also the fastest turnaround, I think, ever of an album. I, I've never, usually it's like it takes forever. It was it was a really awesome recording experience because, you know, we the band was actor musicians. Not all, Most of the assa- other Assassins weren't playing, but the rest of the cast were. And okay. so we were playing and singing live and we were doing it. And it was just kind of single takes. We We had rehearsed and we had to make it as best as we could. We obviously played it many times, but... You know, so many albums, especially over pandemic, I, I made another record with Broadway Records and Nick Blameyer, Edge of the World, and uh, with Norbert and we can, you know, and, yes. and Lily. And that was an incredible experience, but it was also piecemeal. Like we had to, I was in Los Angeles where I was living at the time. Lily was in her apartment in New York. Norbert was filming something in Vancouver. Nick was in Brooklyn. And, you know, uh, our, our record producer was in Minneapolis. And we were just like, <laughs> we were we were on Zoom and we were in our closets and we were, you know, doing the best that we could. And that was an incredible, like everything about that was wonderful, um, but of necessity. And then this, we were in a studio all together looking at each other 
you know, in our own booths, we could take our masks off and it was great. Was there any footage taken that day? Oh yeah. Okay. I'll have to look online. Certainly. The wonderful Dan Tracy made some amazing uh, music videos and things. So I think, I mean, at least Unworthy of Your Love has a music video to it. You mentioned the John Doyle Sondheim revivals being very informative, but we do like to bring it back to maybe an earlier experience or a time in your life when you realized that the life of the performing arts or entertaining was for you. And we call it the Ring of Keys moment inspired by the musical Fun Home as we've tickled a little bit today. But Mm. do you feel as though you had a Ring of Keys moment where the it all just clicked and made sense for you? You know, it's actually a tough question. I feel like I had a bit of a slow slide in. The the thing that that, you know, when I caught the bug, as they say, so to speak, (laughs) as they say, I was five years old. My sister, who was six years older than me, was playing Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz in a neighborhood community production of The Wizard of Oz. And she needed a toto. And so I donned a black turtleneck and black pants and ears and little nose. And I walked around by her side as toto for the whole show. Aw, that is so cute. it, it was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it was great, and we we performed like at a community center, and then we also performed at a children's hospital. Oh wow! And it was just this like really great, just like this this family in the community whose names I don't remember because I was five and we moved sort of soon thereafter. But you know, they just like organized this thing, and it was all these kids got together. And uh, at the hospital, the children's hospital performance. You know, I had one job, which is like run over to where the wizard is hiding behind. Oh, spoiler, where the wizard is hiding behind a curtain and pull the curtain to the side. And so I grab the curtain and I pull and it's not moving. And so I pull harder and it's not moving. And then the whole thing like falls down on top of (laughs) the one adult in the cast. (laughs) And that was the moment that I knew that I was meant to be on stage. Yes. What was the audience reaction? Were they with you still? They were like, they they jumped to their feet. They're like, wow, what? what?" (laughs) What physical comedy? <laughs> is that Sean Hayes? No, it's Ethan Slater. <laughs> it's young Ethan. Mm-hmm. Um, no, all oh, I remember I is uh, turning beet red and uh, wanting to weep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, you said you were five. I'm I mean, going to be doing this for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and so then did you just stay involved over the years? You wanted to keep doing shows? and Yeah, I did. Like, you know, I did school plays and in fifth grade we did the music man and i was harold hill and that was a big moment for me as a fifth grader yeah i yeah it was a really mature production i would say i think we really okay. nailed all of the uh all of the nuance <laughs> of that piece <laughs> that uh, meredith wilson intended and then um i would say that the, that a big moment for me where i was like okay this is not just a hobby that i do but maybe something that i want to to double up on your answer and be long-winded is that when I was a, when I was a senior, a junior in high school, we were doing the producers and I was playing Leo Bloom and it was where I was trying out my SpongeBob voice. And, um, <laughs> and my good friend Noah Robbins was playing Max Bialystok. And while we were doing that show, he, we were in tech rehearsals and he went up to New York for a final callback for this play he'd been auditioning for and he's like running a little bit late for our final dress rehearsal and he calls me and he says hey i just got off the train i'm on my way to, to the school i got the job i'm gonna be playing eugene in brighton beach memoirs on broadway directed by david cromer and i was like <sighs> hung up and i was like everyone noah booked the job and, and we ran to the front door and he like came in and we like lifted him up someone just came in the door you know, uh, okay, that's yeah. my so it's my ring of keys. <laughs> yeah, so I can't yeah, literally to the theater. Um, but it was like this great moment of like seeing, uh, which which is the only reason that I kind of tell that story is because it was like this moment of seeing a friend be successful and somebody who I knew was super talented. Like he was just incredible. I grew up in DC, so he was going. You know, he was traveling a, a far distance for this, but I just like knew he was the best actor I'd ever worked with, and he still is. You know, he's like incredible. So seeing somebody succeed in that way in a field that seems so impossible gave me a lot of hope and was very. It was a big inspiration for me. So I think that that was a moment where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to pursue this, and it, it definitely felt a little bit like in an indirect way, the kind of a rising tide lifts all boats, which is a complicated mm. statement that has its flaws. But in that case, (laughs) I was a little, I was like, okay, well, this is great. He's like, 
he's showing me the possibility if you work really hard. That is, I love I, that. I am obsessed. We've never had an answer like that before. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Really? Yeah, you brought fresh content. Mm-hmm. I knew you would tell us stories you haven't told anyone else, Ethan. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Mining it. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Just making things up. <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> no. no, that's real. No Rob's So you mentioned drama school and, and you are classically trained <laughs> Vassar. You know, and all of these little bricks led to you ultimately becoming the sponge mm-hmm. himself. <laughs> now you you do have a favorite SpongeBob episode? Uh <laughs> This is me trying to come up with new questions about SpongeBob because, you know, I know it's such a good question. I, I do get asked my favorite episode a bit, not to be, not, yeah. I know, not to poo poo. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it is a really good question. <sighs> Dylan, you're, it's really, I really appreciate it. Um, <sighs> my you. favorite episode, I would say like it, it's probably the Bubble Buddy episode because I just love the gag Classic. at the very end of Bubble Buddy putting on a top hat. And hailing a cab. I think it's the funniest gag. <laughs> the show's brilliant. And the musical was just absolute genius. You know, it was it was one of the most remarkable things. We actually were at the performance when the Tony nominations were that morning. And then we were there that oh night. And God. it was the most electric experience I can ever I can ever recall. I mean, you when you appeared, it, it was just like a, a rock concert. It was that was so I I um I don't know. I just, that was such an unreal experience, everything about it, because like it, it did feel like a rock concert, but it was like more intimate than that. Like the palace theater doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like an arena. It feels like you are with all of these people in a really intimate way somehow. And so it was just like this really special shared experience. It was like, so it was so like theater is community. And it felt like that Mm -hmm. in a really big way. That was so nuts. That whole experience. I mean, the technical aspects of that show and just everything that, that went into it. What was it like working with Tina Landau? I know I have like a part two of that question. Cause I was thinking about it when you mentioned how John Doyle is a linear director mm-hmm. and I, my mind immediately went to SpongeBob where I was like, well, I guess it must be different creating something completely original, but what was it like working with Tina then knowing it probably wasn't linear? Yeah. Okay. I also want to say like, Maybe this is surprising, but not a question I ever get asked. Okay, cool. Really good question. Awesome question. Yes. Um, working with Tina is like is something that I wish for every every actor in the world. She is well. So one of the great privileges of the show for me was that I started working on it when it didn't have a script and it didn't have a music. It was just like bodies in space and what can we do? And so if if John is a linear director who's who's building the concept as he goes, Tina is like this incredible editor who's like, let's and she's actually described herself this way. So it's not a totally original description, but she's she's like <laughs> she she's like, let's come up with hundreds and hundreds of ideas. And then she'll be like, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. That one's good, but it's not right for us. That one's good, but it's not right for us. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's funny. And then we bring those all together mm-hmm. and we're like, well, okay, well, these images, how do we use these images and these, and these storytelling devices to tell our story? And we have this story. Um, and so we did that while we were creating the story, right? So we did all of that and we came up with like great images, great story things, great ways to use our body. She and Kyle went up and wrote the script, Kyle Jarrow, who wrote the book. And they came back and we're like, mm-hmm. okay, how do we stitch these ideas together? And then we kind of threw all, all of that away from my point of view. And we started staging and, you know, we knew the script. We, we had read it all. We, we knew the big picture, but we were going through moment by moment. And it was like, okay, well, this moment needs something physical. What's something from our grab bag that we can pull that, that, that is uh. right for this moment. Oh, that's funny, but it's not good. Oh, that's good, but it's not funny. Oh, that's the one. And so it was like this really amazing experience where not only are we creating this kind of, to call it a pastiche is wrong because it really all had to flow together, but we're creating something that's like almost a collage, this this wholly original thing. And also everybody involved feels ownership over it. And obviously Tina is the editor, she's the collage artist. She's making this whole thing happen. But I feel so much ownership over every single move I made in that show. I know Danny feels the same way. I know Lily feels the same way. And I'm sure everybody in the cast, Vasti and Alan, and just like everybody in the cast feel that way about this show because we were given the freedom and the responsibility to come up with ideas tons and tons and tons of them. Now that's not to say like for what it's worth, it's not to say that that's not what working with John is like in some ways. And a lot of directors that I've worked with, you know, directors all ask you to generate 
And they all are editing in one way or another. But I would say some people lead with different things. And this is what Tina leads with. She also like the other element of it. If you are a drama student listening is, is drama. Uh, yeah. A drama student viewpoints is like Tina's. Yes. One of, one of her many magnum opi. <laughs> Sure. That'd be the plural. That's the plural of it. Yeah. Magnum's opus. She, she like Magnum opuses. Oh, no, 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 no. I love and Magnum opi. Magnum opi. Yeah. Well, s- some artists are just prolific. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And she, she like, she, so we would do viewpoints. Um, almost every workshop or production that we did of SpongeBob, she would build our ensemble using viewpoints, which is just a great a great way to create a shorthand. And and I will say, if you are doing viewpoints, I can give you no advice, but to read the book. (laughs) But I will say that one of the things that was amazing about working with Tina and doing viewpoints with Tina, having gone to Vassar, where we used viewpoints in so many different productions, was she was so unprecious about it. It was very important and to be taken seriously, but it was play to be taken seriously. We laughed a lot. We made mistakes a lot. She made mistakes. She would break and start laughing while we were doing work. She, you know, we, it was, it wasn't about being perfect. It was about building an ensemble. And I think that that was something that as a, as an 18 year old, I started working with her when I was 19, which is wild. But when I was 18, oh my God, <laughs> when I was, when I was 18 and I was doing viewpoint stuff, I thought we had to be perfect, but it's a process and it's about the process. And so that's, I don't know, if, you, if you're a student doing viewpoints, that was the thing that working with her, I, I really latched onto and meant the world to me. Oh, that's so valuable. I, I absolutely love that you shared that. I mean, I want to be sensitive of your time, but I feel like SpongeBob was truly one of those rare everyone was obsessed with it kind of theater moments. Like there wasn't much discourse, people like not liking it. You know what I mean? And the internet conversation around you and your performance has been absurdly out of this world positive. And one of those things that we all can agree on is that you absolutely should have won the Tony award that season. I, I don't know what happened, Ethan. It was the crime of the century, American crime story, Tony awards, because when I, Think about performances that season that like truly no one else could have done and no one else will do better. I feel like we can all agree Ethan Slater as SpongeBob's SquarePants was one of those. So hats off to you. You'll be remembered in history forever. That's really kind. That's really kind. But I will say, as uh, as my father said on the night of the Tonys, well, at least you lost to my favorite actor. <laughs> to Mr. Monk. Mr. Mr. I mean, Monk, he yeah. is, I mean, he was great in Dan's visit. He is great in everything. So knowing that I was in the same company as Joshua Henry and Harry Haddon Payton and Mr. Shalhoub himself, it was quite an honor. So I, while, while I certainly appreciate that discourse and it does make me feel good, I also know deep down <laughs> uh, that they, all of them were deserving of it and Tony as much or more than anyone. So I, I was just really grateful to kind of be in that room. Mm-hmm. And who would have thought like as SpongeBob? I mean, I know that you were saying, I know that yeah. you were saying that like, it was like really positive. People loved it and people did. And it was, that was really special, but the lead up, not so much. The lead up was, was, was scary. It was really scary. Did those voices get in your head while you were doing it out of town? I mean, everyone knew that you were going to be SpongeBob when it was moving to Broadway. Were you, were you hearing or worried about what people were thinking about you even before you stepped on stage? It's hard not to, but I would say that that Danny Skinner and I would get together all the time. We're very close. and But we would get together all the time during that. We would just be like, hey, we are super proud of what we're doing. And everybody who's seen it gets it. Mm-hmm. So let's try to not listen to the people who haven't seen it, who are writing blogs about it, who are judging it before there's any information. Let's just try to not let them poison our... Uh, our experience and not let them like create a different version of the show. Like let's do the thing that we're proud of. And when people see it, they will at least respect what we're going for. Yes. And that thank God panned out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there were, there were people who didn't like it. There were people for whom it was not, it was not their cup of tea and that's totally okay. 
but people who had seen it were not as snarky. And I think that that's kind of in this insane way, <laughs> the power of SpongeBob. Mm. I mean, like, like he's SpongeBob is like this optimist, like Steve Hillenberg created this like really incredible optimistic beacon of light. And if you're allow yourself to sit with SpongeBob for two hours, two and a half hours, you'll at least see what he's going for. Oh, a great way to end that that moment of SpongeBob. Thank you for sharing stuff with us about him. And yeah, I mean, but thankfully, again, we have that forever, not only on a cast album, but we have it filmed. So Paramount Plus. Yeah. Get your subscriptions out, y'all. Subscribe now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, Connor mentioned, you know, this whole like this Tony snub situation being it's a it's a dose of drama. And we do like to end hearing from everybody <laughs> with maybe a moment that it could be a little bit of a rant. Mm. It could be something you want to praise and rave about. Just some thoughts that you might have in the process. And I think Connor's going to kick it off this week. I am because there's something I'm feeling dramatic about. And this is, you know, a change in segment here for me. The thing I'm about to say is, you know, I ruined not one, but two pairs of pants that I wear often by spilling salad dressing on them. And I just want to say to the listeners out there, be very careful when you're, you know, (laughs) eating food in the workplace because you know, just stay focused on, on the, on, keep your eyes on the prize mm-hmm. and remember to use napkins because you could ruin pants and, you know, pants famously aren't cheap. They're not, I mean, they could be anywhere from like $50 to $30 or even, you know, 80. So just keep your, um, your napkin on your lap and maybe some spray and wash in your backpack. That's all I'm going to say. I'm, I'm feeling dramatic about it because I need to buy some new pants is the moral of the story. So it's hard out there. It's gotta stay really vigilant. Hard. You do, you do. Um, Dylan, do you have a dose of drama? Anything you want to share or anything you've mm. been consuming? I will share. It's a dose of drama. Do you ever, you're ever like with a group of friends and you're all like hanging out? Maybe you're like, you know, it's the end of the night or it's like an afternoon hang. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and someone goes, oh, who could that be? And they go, oh, that's my, that's my food I ordered. And you think, oh, you ordered food, but you you didn't ask if anybody else wanted anything. Oh, boy. and it's those people out there that are not girls, girls that you have to be wary of because, you know, obviously I'm going to Venmo you for my half of, or, or my portion. Just, just ask, you know, ask if, if I'm interested in a Jimmy John sub or, you know, if, if it's, if it's the aforementioned Chipotle. That's drama. That happened on an episode of Real Housewives of Atlanta where it was during the pandemic season. But anyway, Kenya ordered a crab roll and didn't tell anyone else. And there were like 20 other people on the trip and she didn't provide lunch because she was also the host of the trip and she ordered only a crab roll for herself. And everyone was really mad. It was a whole segment anyway. Drama. Unbelievable. I know. Ethan, Do you relate? I was once, I was once at, uh, this is a tiny story, but I was once doing a college visit when I was a junior and senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And my host ordered him and his roommates a pizza and then they took it to another room and I was just sitting there. I didn't know the address of the place that we were, so I couldn't even order my own food oh. and I just didn't eat. Well, cause also we didn't have Uber Eats back then. You know, no, I had to like call, you had to call. Yeah. Did you? I actually, I'm not really, I can't really remember. What college was, you obviously didn't go there. Yeah. You were scarred. I didn't go there. Um, Ethan, do you have a dose of drama for us today? So maybe something you're watching or thinking about or. Yeah. I was just going to go with a show that I'm like okay. kind of deeply obsessed with at the moment that I've just been, I'm out of town on a gig and I like be, when I'm out of town to like start a show and just like watch it really intensely. And so uh, it has been severance on Apple TV. Oh, I've heard good things. And I, I, it's just weird and kind of scary and funny and odd. And I'm just like really deeply into it. And I'm creating fan theories. And uh, Tramel, who is in Goodnight Oscar with me, is plays this incredible role in Severance. And so I'm like running my fan theories by him. And he's like, <laughs> I cannot tell you. Wait, who I is, who tell is you. the star of the show? Adam Scott. And there's a, but there's like a whole slew of incredible act- actors in it. And it's Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette, John Turturro, uh, Christopher Walken. Oh my God. Jamel Tillman. A murderer's row. Dramel, of course, yeah. you know. I've been going deep into it. I love that. And it's probably like a nice comfort too, as you're, when you come home and there's something to like yeah. be familiar and. Something to like look forward to. Mm-hmm. It's weird being away from home. It's so yeah. weird to be like, you know, so it's like, it's nice to like have something where you're like, okay, well, it's Friday. So it's Severance Day. Is your wife also into Severance? Uh, no. Okay. She has not watched it yet. So I have a 
I have a very strong feeling that I will be doing a rewatch from the beginning with her and just watching uh-huh. her face as she watches it. Yeah. <laughs> to see how she's reacting. High she's, stakes. It'll be really high stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. High stakes. When did you get married? Not to three years ago, just over three years ago. Oh my gosh. Mazel. Yeah. Thank you. Post SpongeBob? Po- post. Yeah. Post SpongeBob post. by a couple weeks. Was that planned that way or were you supposed to take like time off? Well, I was going to take time off uh, unless we closed, but we kind mm-hmm. of knew that that was coming. This is a whole other thing. They were, we knew it was coming because they were tearing down the palace. Right. But everyone said it was supposed to change theaters. Uh, it's really expensive to move theaters. This is a thing that yeah. people don't, that like you can't quite conceptualize. It's not like picking up and moving. It's a lot of rebuilds. You, you know, the run cost of a show can be six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars a week for a show that size. And so if it takes four weeks to move the theater, you're spending most of your run cost. You know, you're spending millions of dollars to move it. Right. And the margins are not that big on Broadway. So it takes a while to make that money back. So yeah. Uh, we could go all into it. We yeah. Should, but that's too much next drama. time. Next time. That's too much drama. I know, I know. Ethan, we're gonna have to have you back because I also I've, I've seen your Fifty Four Below shows. We got to talk about your original music. There's tons of other stuff that we have to dig into, and so you're this is your open invite. Yeah, I had a great time. Well, we'll have to find a time for part two. I know, absolutely. Thank you so much for chatting with us. I know that you have a show to get to, but before you go, I do want to make sure that everybody's following you on social media on Twitter.com. You're at Ethan S. Slater, right? Ethan S. A. Slater. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for having done that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think it through. <laughs> Ethan right. Sl- Slater. Ethan's a Slater. Ethan's a Slater. My middle name is Sam. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay. okay. <laughs> and then it's just your it's your government name, Ethan Slater, on Instagram. <laughs> um, where everyone should follow you to keep up with Goodnight Oscar and all the things, assassins, everything that you've got going on. Yeah. Tune in, I guess. Yeah. And for those of you, when you're hitting that follow button for Ethan, if you're not already following us, what are you doing? We're at the drama podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Dylan McDowell and Connor is at Connor McDowell. Ethan, this was a pleasure. Ethan, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. So glad. I love to hear it. You're, you're a star, an actor and a true friend at the end of the day. You're, you're just, you both a couple of mentions. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, Connor, I guess I'll see you next time. Okay. Drama. Drama.